Father, we come to you today seeking truth, seeking your Spirit's power in us, seeking a greater obedience, seeking a true love that spurs that obedience, love that you gave us first. Thank you that you call us sons and daughters of God. We pray that in these following moments that your voice would be heard and not mine. We pray for soft hearts. We pray that our defenses would go down. We ask that you would do a work of grace in us. Don't leave us where we're at. None of us have arrived on the journey. If our minds need to be changed to conform to the truth and not to our own personal beliefs, we pray that that would be done. You have complete freedom to do what it is that you desire. Make us willing and receptive to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christy and I were having a talk earlier this week, and we were lamenting the fact that in all of 2020, coronavirus pandemic, uproars of riots, cancel culture, and all of this, Christy and I are relatively younger, I mean that nicely, and I don't know if I can recall another era or season in our lives where we felt like we just don't know who to trust. When it comes to news and information, and all of you got answers for that, you can line up afterwards, but half of the organizations, it seems, that were putting forth advisories, your life depends on it type ordinances, are now backpedaling. There was another situation a few weeks ago in California that passed a law that seemed largely favorable to pedophiles, and I've since read articles from all sorts of political persuasions that show the nitty-gritty wording that that really isn't the case. There are a few outlets that were actually sounding the alarms a few weeks ago that I've discovered, interestingly, that all their red alarm articles are missing. I was in Lewiston this week, and, and in some stores I was pressured and told to wear a mask, and still in other stores, though they had the, the mandatory mask law, I didn't put one on mostly because I can't breathe in it, but also because nobody seems to talk to me about it nor tells me otherwise. Now, maybe some of you who uh, you know, hear this and are Christian, I might, might be offended by a fellow Christian breaking such rules, while others uh, you know, confuse Christianity and, and thinks that I have a patriotic symbol of not wearing a mask and I'm championing human liberty. And What bothers me is what's true. <laughs> what's true? And also what bothers me is how people, I'm a person, every person concerning almost everything they read and hear don't take the time to ask this question all the time. They take it for granted, well, that's a trustworthy source, I don't need to look into it. <laughs> or these are all multiple voices, they all agree and they're talking very loudly, I better do what they tell me to do. The founder, excuse me, how do we discern truth in all this? 
That's, that's my point. The founder of, of Quakerism, and I use it this way because I don't think any founder of any religious movement feels like that they're discovering something new. But George Fox lived in a very interesting time in the mid-1600s in England. He lived in a time when England had broken away from the Catholic Church, but in turn the Church of England largely, if not almost entirely, seemed to be Catholic in practice. And it set itself up as the mandatory church that folks must go to instead. And then in the 1600s, operating illegally were other denominations, those Baptists. <laughs> and, and one of the things that, that Fox didn't like or didn't fully grasp is how all these churches were vying as being the one true church. And in our day and age, there is hopefully a general consensus among many Christians that not many, but not all, but not many churches are proud enough to state that we're the only ones who got it right. Nobody else is Christian. Some churches are a little bit that direction and they might say, well, we're not the only ones going to heaven, but we think we're correct on every doctrine more so than other churches. <laughs> and George Fox began to realize that, that he had a Bible. And while sure, many clergymen were taught and schooled, but with the word of God and with the Holy Spirit, what did clergymen really have over George Fox. Now, some of you say, well, education is good. It is, but maybe you missed the fact that I said, with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. That's God. <laughs> He's probably a better teacher <laughs> than many universities. With the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, what did clergymen really have over George Fox? The Apostle John says in 1 John 2.27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. The Apostle John is stating that when it comes down to it, the better teacher and the best teacher that does not err is the Holy Spirit which abides in us. This is kind of our beginning as we unpack this third doctrine today from our faith and practice. And just a few prefaces, if you've missed it or haven't been here, while we are unpacking doctrines in our faith and practice, because, hey, Woodland Friends Church is part of a denomination. These aren't new doctrines. These aren't hip or trendy doctrines. These are essential Christian truths shared by all. And we're just looking at these doctrines worded the way they are in our faith and practice, and then we're going to mine out the biblical grounding behind it. So let's look at this uh, third statement entirely. It's entitled, God's Revelation by the Spirit, but because I'm a rebel, I've renamed it for our purposes. I'm just calling it On the Holy Spirit, because it seems to be a doctrine that's more generally about the Holy Spirit than just about how God reveals things by Him. So let's read it together. It says, We believe God is the source of truth, that there are no spiritual insights or principles independent of His revelation. God's Spirit teaches us through the Scriptures and through the creation. He convicts and instructs conscience, testifies to salvation through Christ, and gives wisdom and power for holy living. The Spirit gives discernment concerning the purposes of God through natural and social history. The Spirit enlightens reason and quickens human creativity that we might share 
in the work of the Creator. In this doctrine, I see a largely three-pronged statement about the Holy Spirit. First, we learn about the source of truth. Secondly, we learn about the way He teaches. And thirdly, which will require some more unpacking in of itself, but we learn about why He teaches. The source of truth, the way He teaches, and why He teaches. First, we believe that God is the source of truth. We believe God is the source of truth, that there is no spiritual insights or principles independent of His revelation. Now, we need to be careful here. For this to be true right here, you come to God and you come to the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you earnestly seek Him out. When you hear His voice, you're going to hear what's true. This was carefully articulated because there are a lot of teachers, false teachers, and even some misleading translations in the best of our Bibles. But if we're connected to God by His Holy Spirit and listening to Him, we will hear truth. The evangelist John, in both of his gospel accounts and his epistles, seems to really know God to be, and he wants us to know that God is the God of truth. And in the epistle of John, we largely hear statements about God, excuse me, in the gospel of John, we largely hear statements about God being true because Jesus is here to demonstrate that God is true. I mean, it makes sense if God's walking around in the flesh, huh, God must be true. (laughs) At the end of John chapter 3, many believe the evangelist is... um, John is chiming in to make some more commentary on the incarnation or the in the fleshness, if you will, of Christ. And John writes this, He who comes from above, that's Jesus, is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So Jesus has done both. He is from heaven, but now he's of earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, Jesus. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Reminds us of John 1. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But listen to this, verse 33. Whoever receives his, Jesus, testimony, sets his seal. Think of a nobleman authenticating, signing, declaring. Sets his seal to this, that God is true for he whom God has sent utters the words of God for he gives the spirit without measure to affirm Christ John says to say that God is true God loves me God said he'll save me if I believe God sent his sent Jesus to save me it's all true God is true that's to affirm Christ in John 7:28 and 8:26 the evangelist John records Jesus saying, "He who sent me is true." <laughs> it's interesting that when Jesus speaks of his Father, speaks of God, that this is his defining characteristic that Jesus names in those moments. He's true. Why? Because he sent Jesus. Because Jesus is the incarnation of God. We know our God is true and we know that the Spirit of God is true because of Jesus. Does that make sense? Is that easy enough? The validity, the reality, the very existence of our God 
banks on the historicity or the actuality of Jesus of Nazareth walking this earth. Jesus knew this. He says, He's true because I'm here, really because I'm Him. I'm God. John 8.58, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and if you don't know your Bible history, Abraham himself being close to 2,000 years prior to the coming of Christ, but Christ says, before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am being God's covenantal name. Not only is God true because Jesus exists, but what does John 1 call Jesus? The Word. And what does Jesus call the Word in His high priestly prayer in John 17? Praying to God, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Jesus is the proof of God's existence. Christ's very being here makes God true. Jesus makes the Word of God true because Jesus is the Word of God. So in Christ and in God we find nothing but truth. Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. In our world where lots of voices are speaking and we're wondering time and time again, who do I believe? Jesus God, His Word, personifies, is, and will always be true. The Apostle Paul uses a hyperbole in Romans 3-4, saying, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. (laughs) And while Paul certainly does a job in Romans 3, showing that everyone without the grace of God are entirely sinful and totally depraved, the point of this hyperbole is to portray contrast. How true is God? He's so true that every single person in comparison is a liar. That's how true God is. God is the source of truth. And as far as spirituality is concerned, He is the only source of truth. As our statement says, there are no spiritual insights or principles independent of His revelation. I'm friends with people, lots of people on Facebook. And it always raises my eyebrows when other self-professing Christians are posting things from the Dalai Lama or Oprah or whoever else is out there who openly says that they're spiritual but not Christian or maybe I'm a Christian but I don't believe all of this. Some of this is outdated. There are enough self-professing Christians out there who once you hear them, you wonder. But folks, starting with other folks out of the gate who says, Let me impart something to you spiritually. And I don't find all, or in some cases, any of my spiritual wisdom from the God shown to us in His Word. You're not hearing truth. You're not hearing truth. Christ is where truth is found. The Word of God is where truth is found. And I think some people do this on on a false presupposition. And it's a false presupposition that may have slightly dissuaded some of us from even wanting to hear this series. And that false presupposition is that I've heard it all before. And I want to hear something new. When honestly, how many of you completely, truly understand grace yet? I don't. (laughs) That truly there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Bill spoke to me this morning and he says, I still don't get that. (laughs) 
He said it in different words. I won't repeat them because they're little ears. No, just kidding. I was lying. Anyway. Our doctrine rightfully now unfolds the way this source of truth, the Spirit, teaches us that God teaches us through the Scriptures and through the creation. God has decided to teach us through the Scriptures. The book of Hebrews opens this way. He says, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Some Quakers have taken this biblical truth that God speaks to His Son through His Spirit to just suddenly throw out the Scriptures. Well, we now have God's Spirit now, so it's not as important to be in the Word of God when I would beg to differ that Jesus begs to differ with such thoughts. It's interesting to me that after Jesus rises from the dead, and I'll probably be talking about this much more next week when we talk about this doctrine of the Scriptures, but what does Jesus do? The disciples on the Emmaus Road, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, now Christ is resurrected here, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures things concerning himself. Or when Jesus appears to his own disciples later on in the chapter, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Post-resurrection of Christ, Jesus finds value and he spurs his followers to be in the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul would tell his spiritual son Timothy, he says, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Scriptures are breathed out by God. It's the very words of God. But God also speaks to us through His creation. You know, Job says to his counselors in Job 12, But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heaven, and they will teach you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. Or and the fish of the sea will declare to you, Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? This past Tuesday, it was officially the start of fall. And uh, it's my favorite month, as many of you know. And, And as I think about it, especially as I think about the deciduous trees and And about this reality that I know from the Scripture, that God is speaking to us in His creation. In other words, is there a reason, there is a reason nature does its course. And I think, what is God trying to say to me through the beautiful trees of autumn? Why am I drawn to them, personally? In John chapter 12, after Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, He says, "...the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." And he uses two phrases here really common in the book of John, the hour and glorified. Jesus speaks of this hour or his hour throughout the book, and it's referring to his death and burial and resurrection. His hour of the cross. And that's the amazing part of the second phrase, glorified. He sees his hour at the cross and his subsequent resurrection as his being glorified. 
all the pain and suffering and death glorified. That's the connection then he makes with the fact of nature. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain uh, of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's what I get out of autumn when it comes to what is God showing me in the beautiful trees? That is death can be beautiful. <laughs> Leaves, as they die, they do so beautifully. The history of the church has largely adopted the symbol of the cross and we see in the cross something beautiful. That, that painful, horrific death is beautiful. And so even the very natural outcome of the cross and of the curse, death, has become a place in nature where God speaks to us that every time we see death, we can remember God conquered death. Jesus' death was beautiful because it brings life. The Spirit speaks to us through nature. Well, we know He's the source of truth and He teaches through the Scriptures and through nature, but lastly, we wrestle with why He teaches. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us? First, He teaches to restore the soul. Our doctrine states He convicts and instructs conscience. He testifies to salvation through Christ and gives wisdom and power for holy living. You need to know, generally speaking, that when God speaks to humanity, He speaks life. He speaks forgiveness. He speaks redemption. And He speaks resurrection. When Jesus spoke on the Holy Spirit Himself, He said in John 16, verse 8, When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but this conviction is not just for us to feel guilty and stagnant. <laughs> Rather, Paul says to the Thessalonians that conviction comes with the gospel. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, conviction is supposed to lead us to Christ. The Holy Spirit opens up our hearts to Christ. Back in John 16, Jesus continues later about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, again, the source of truth, Spirit of truth, He will guide you into all truth, all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Then listen to this. The Holy Spirit, the source of truth, the Spirit that convicts, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is important. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus. I want to say this is very important because inside and outside of our own faith tradition, many again have acclaimed to be spiritual, to be speaking from a place of spiritual authority, Friends, it's not the Holy Spirit if it doesn't glorify Christ. Let me say that again. It's not the Holy Spirit if it doesn't glorify Christ. I came across this in my own personal Bible reading last week. I'm taking a long trek through the book of Jeremiah because I'm a glutton for punishment. But in it, God is judging false prophets, prophets who existed in Jeremiah's day, and while the world was basically ending for them, while Babylon was coming to take over Israel, all these false prophets were coming up with so-called dreams. We're fine. God's not upset with us. 
And God judges them, saying, How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another? This false prophecy serves to make God's people forget his name. (laughs) In other words... Their so-called spirit-inspired messages are not glorifying God. They're not bringing glory. They're not settling the minds of their hearers on God. In Jeremiah's case, the hearers were hearing that, oh, God's not upset with us. Why, gee, we're in good shape. Lucky us. Whereas Jeremiah, a true prophet with, admittedly, nothing uplifting to say, (laughs) nevertheless, he should turn the hearts of those who hear him to repent and trust in God for salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches to restore the soul so he convicts. And he testifies to salvation through Christ. But he also continues to sanctify. Paul would say in Romans 8, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Pam read for this actually earlier. I didn't realize that whenever I came up with the music. But verse 13 is key here that the Spirit, if I live according to the Spirit, by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, working in the Spirit, the Spirit puts to death the deeds of my body. That's called sin. Paul says it this way to the Galatians, but I say... Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The picture is this. You have two paths before you. One is to do what the Spirit wants. The other is to do what the flesh or the body or the enemy wants. And depending on who you present yourself to, which path you start walking, each time that part will grow, the Spirit or the flesh. So walk by the Spirit. The Spirit convicts, testifies to Christ, and sanctifies. The Spirit brings restoration for the soul. That's why He teaches. The Spirit also teaches the reason for our reality. That's the second part. Our doctrine says that the Spirit gives discernment concerning the purposes of God through natural and social history. Now, this is where it really gets me, how I began this message in this time, in our era. Who is to trust? What's true? And I've been hammering on what the Bible tells us about itself. We're to be in the Bible. It speaks to us. It's how God speaks to us. But we also believe that the Spirit speaks to us today. That even in this Bible can speak to us about today. Since we're learning doctrine, I will give you a big word. (laughs) Theodicy. It comes from two words. Theos, God, 
and Dicky or Justice. And the word or the concept is about, about explaining how two, these two things can coexist. And that is an entirely pure, good, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And then as well, the existence of evil. It seems like these two shouldn't be able to coexist, right? Because if God is altogether good, altogether powerful and pure and all-knowing, and if he hates injustice and we believe he has the power to stop it, why doesn't he? Well, that's literally a question for the ages, and I don't think I'm going to sum up in an answer for you in just a brief part of this message here. But here's what we do know. The Bible opens up giving us the cause for evil in newsflash. It wasn't God. Everything that God made was good. But when the serpent enters in, Genesis 3, about Satan, about the devil, John says this about him, in John, or Jesus says this about him in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. And then listen to this, compared to who God is and who the Holy Spirit is, the source of truth, the devil, a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. I like what the NIV says in his native language. That's his native language is lying. For he is a liar and the father of lies. There is a reason. There is so much ambiguity. What to believe. When all the sources we get our information from are tainted by sin. Tainted by the fall, tainted by the prince of the power of the air of Satan, the father of lies. And why all the injustice? Not only is he the father of lies, he was a murderer from the beginning. But I say this often. God was able to take the most horrific act of evil, the death of his son, and use it to save the world. I have no doubt, though I lament in the interim, and I agonize at times over the injustice we see, I nevertheless have no doubt that whatsoever, that what Paul says is true, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Friends, we talked about it today going through Matthew. There will be a day when everything comes to light. Nothing will be left in the dark Truth will prevail, lies will be exposed, injustice will be rectified, wrongs will be righted, criminals will be judged fairly and certainly, and evil will finally be totally triumphed over. Matthew 25, 31 and 32, for starters, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We have a king who comes in glory with a throne and he judges and all of human history is going to end in this great judgment. All of human history is being watched and reigned over and all of human history will be called into account by our God. The Spirit sheds light on the reason for our reality. And there are times in history until then that the Spirit gives you and me, Christian, glimpses into our purpose. We know that at all times we are to be on the Great Commission. That was also brought up. 
But there are specific times and specific tasks and specific things that He'd have for you and me personally and for the church universally to be doing. Lastly, the Spirit teaches us to be redeeming with our Redeemer. That's the last part of our doctrine today. It says the Spirit enlightens reason and quickens human creativity that we might share in the work of the Creator. Hebrews, as in the ethnic group, not the book, Hebrews often told stories with beginning, middle, beginning. And I love how the Bible opens in a garden where mankind is told to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And how Jesus, the last Adam, appears in the garden first to a woman, whereas Eve, the first woman, ate of the fruit. These women that Jesus appeared to gives the first command to go and tell about him. And eventually the disciples are again to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And this time spiritually, by spreading the seed of the Word of God, a new beginning, a recasting of the first creation. And the Spirit, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, brings with Him varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God, through the Spirit, builds His church. And He does so by quickening our creativity. I said this last time I preached, but God is a Creator. That's who He is. Genesis 1.1 says He created it all, the heavens and the earth. But then in Genesis 1.27, He made us in His image. In whose image? In the Creator's image. We too are Creators. And we know that what Christ does at the cross is restores us to our original intent And then we know that His Spirit is going to work in us to be creative for His purposes. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can thread this all together. It's it's a hard job, but somebody has to do it. (laughs) And you aren't, so... (laughs) We need the Holy Spirit today. You need the Holy Spirit today. As a Christian, in my 2020, and many of my weeks are sadly, thanks to the environment that I surround myself in, full of bitterness, despair, unrest, impatience. Will 2020 ever get over? Rudeness, bad things. It's been rough. It's felt deceptive. And it sometimes made me run to things that I shouldn't run to to cope. Like the news. That's usually what's causing it. I need some good news. Got any good? Nope, no good news. I guess I'll find some ice cream because that helps. Don't you and I need in 2020, I don't know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I wonder if there's just something out there that can fill us with those things, right? Maybe you're like me and Christy and you've thought these things or you had these conversations. What's true? There's so many voices out there. I just want to know what's true. I have a challenge. I have a dare for you this week. One day this week, and many of you probably already do this, you're my hero. But I dare you to keep the news off for a whole day. I dare you to keep the TV off for a day. I dare you to get up, read the Scriptures. Take a walk if you can walk, and if you can't walk, take a drive, a scenic drive. See if there is something on your walk or drive that God uses to speak to you. I dare you to, instead of to listen to any other voice, tell you what sins your political opponents need to repent of. See if there are sins that you need to repent of. 
See if the Spirit says to you, 2020 is not as chaotic and dismal as the godless voices narrating everything right now says it is. But I have a plan and I have a purpose. And see if that plan and purpose involves you being part of God's plan of redemption. Friends, if you and I spent more time with the Holy Spirit instead of the spirit of the world, I think most of our days might look a little brighter. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, when things are going relatively well, for many of us, that's 2019, 2018. Maybe it's all the way back in 1993. I don't know. But when things seem to be going relatively well, sadly, we don't press in to you because we're kind of fat and happy. But when things look dismal and chaotic and when the news matters to us and then we get upset because we realize that there are liars out there, we start living in a little bit of chaos ourselves. Father, you redeemed us from our sins to do life with us. We are now in the garden of the world and you can still talk to us in many ways as freely as you talk to Adam and Eve because you've given us your very spirit inside of us. Help us to press into you and to desire to commune with you, to listen to your spirit. Father, would you give us, get us in the discipline of purposely and intentionally drowning out the voices of of the world, not because we don't care about the world, but because we care about what you wish to say to us more. Help us to find moments of silence and solitude. Father, for those of us who are going to actually do this this week and find a day to do that, would it be such a great day that we wouldn't need to be told to do it again? But instead that we would say, I need more of this because we do. We need to live with your spirit inside of us. We need to do life listening to you. We need to do life operating out of the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruits, the rotten fruits that the world would give us. Thank you that you want to do life with us like this and thank you that living with the Spirit inside of us is fulfilling our purpose. That's what you made us for. And help us to trust that we do serve a Redeemer, a Redeemer who redeems the world. That when things look dismal and chaotic, that's usually whenever you're ready to show up and do your work. Help us to be a part of your work and not hindering you, but trusting in you and doing what you would call us to do. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.